Welcome to this week's sermon from Spark. We are a community who believes we are deeply loved by God and seek to welcome, support, love, and serve every person we meet. We hope this message has something for you today. All right, so can anyone tell me what confession is? What's a confession? Go ahead, over there. Yes, you. Okay, so you confess your feelings or your wrongdoings to God. What else is a confession? Yes, sir. You admit to what you've done. Anything else? Any other descriptions of that? Okay. Yeah, so a lot of times when we think of confession or confessing, we think about things that maybe we did that we shouldn't have done, and then we kind of have to admit to that thing that we did, right? And you think about like all of the law and order shows and stuff where they try to get a confession out of the person that did the thing. But confession isn't only when we do something we're not supposed to. Confession is really about telling the truth, just period. And so we can confess things like, I can confess that I believe that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I can confess that I really love dogs. I can confess, you know, my favorite food right now has been Indian food because it's so yummy and spicy. You know, so I can confess truths or facts about myself, my life, my beliefs. It doesn't have to just be like this thing where you're gonna own up to the stuff that you've done. So for the next several weeks, as we go through the the season of Lent, we're going to confess um, those questions that we might carry, um, the doubts that we might have about faith, about life, about Jesus about God. And a couple of weeks ago, we asked you all in youth group, if you remember, like if you could ask a question about God, what would that question be? Do you remember when we did that? Yes. Um, And so we wrote those questions down and that's how we came up with our topics for this sermon series. And so today we are going to wrestle with our first question, which is how do we know that this is real? And I want to back up for a second because when we ask these questions, I see that as a healthy and a good thing. Some people might be like, well, if you ask all these questions about faith, well, do you really believe? Are you a good Christian? And I would say yes, because I would rather that you all be thinking people who have wrestled with your faith, who have interrogated it, who have questioned it, and then come to believe that it's true, rather than being people who just believe something because someone told you it, right? That has a much more meaningful value to you than me just saying, hey, um, Jaden, you should believe in God, and then he's like, okay, right? If it means something to you, then when you face challenges in your life, your faith won't shake and fall apart, right? Because you have come to understand that for yourself, rather than just kind of blindly following what someone else has told you to believe. So, For me, asking these questions is a good and healthy process for us as we become more fully who God calls us to be as we become Christians. So this question of how do we know that this is real? I wonder if anyone has had this question before in their their life. I know I have at different points been like, how do we really know, right? And the short answer to this question, if I was to say it in a couple sentences, is really like, we can't know completely right? Some of this part of faith is the fact that we believe without 
And some of this whole topic of God is that we can never fully, completely understand God because we're a human being and God is God, right? And God made us and is bigger than us. And so we're like a little tiny ant on the ground trying to understand um, a human being. But that doesn't mean that we can't look a little bit further into this question, right? We could just say, well, we can't really know. But that's not really helpful, right? So if someone's really sitting there going, Pastor Madeline, how do I know this is real? Where can I look to understand who God is and how Jesus might be, have been a real person and what this means for my life? And so I'm going to go over three things that we can look at when we are finding ourselves in these moments where we're like, how do I know that this is real? And the first thing that we can look to, the first evidence we can find, if we were using this as like, you know, a mystery and we're trying to gather evidence to understand, would be the Bible, right? Scripture. Scripture um, is real. It's a book that I can hold in my hand, right? I can open it and I can read it. It has information in it. And even if you are not someone who believes that God is God and Jesus is the Son of God and all of that, you can read the Bible and you can learn things about our faith. Um, and when we read the Bible, many of you probably know this already, but it's one book, but it's made up of 66 other books are inside of here. And it's written by many authors. Some of those books have multiple authors. And these were people who were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down these things that God said, you know what, I need you to write down these stories. And prior to that, they would have been stories that would have been passed down kind of in a verbal tradition, kind of like how we would sat around the campfire last week at youth group. You might sit down around a fire at night and tell the stories of God and tell the stories of your people. But then someone decided to write them down. And the Bible contains all different kinds of information. Some of it's history, some of it's biography, some of it's poetry, some of it's a letter to a specific people at a specific period of time. Some of it is story that's there specifically to teach us a lesson. And all of that is in here. And so one of the things that we have to do as Christians is learn how to use this well, right? But it's here for us to hold and to physically read about who God is and the nature of God and what God's been up to in the world up until um, now. So the first thing that we can do is read the Bible. And so I'm going to read from John chapter 1, which kind of tells us a little bit about how Jesus came into the world and how, and since Jesus is kind of a big deal in the Christian faith, right? He's the one person that we follow, we believe came down, God came down in the form of Jesus and that he lived among us and that he died and then rose again, like we just sang about. And here's the beginning part of that story. It says, in the beginning with God and the word was God. The word was with God in the beginning and everything came into being through the word. And without the word, nothing came into being. What came into being through the word was life, and the life was light for all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't extinguish the light. And I know sometimes when we read scripture, we're like, that sounded like a Dr. Seuss rhyme. Like, I have no idea what that was talking about, right? Because it sounds a little bit like metaphorical and uh, it can be confusing. And so that's why it's important, too, to when you're reading the Bible, to find a Bible that you can understand because there's different translations. And so finding the one that you're able to understand and read is important so that you can know what it says. But also, I wonder if you know that 
Another name for Jesus is the Word, capital W, Word, and one. You could use the one. But if I reread this and I put Jesus' name in all the places where it says Word, I wonder how that kind of changes the meaning for your brain. So let's read it again, but I'm going to do that for you. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus was with God in the beginning, and everything came into being through Jesus. And without Jesus, nothing came into being. And what came into being through Jesus was life, and the life was the light for all people. And light shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't extinguish the light. Does that make a little more sense when you read it? It doesn't sound quite so Dr. Susie. But it's the same exact meaning, right? That Jesus has existed from the very beginning. And when we ask this question about how do we know this is real, one of the big questions that comes up and people ask me all the time is like, well, God, if God created everything, the whole world, what created God? And the only answer we can give is that God has always existed. And we know that by reading John 1. In the very beginning, God was already there. And we know that from Genesis too, it says that there. So God has always existed. And that's one of the mysteries that we're never gonna fully, completely understand, be able to scientifically explain. But it's a truth that we choose to believe in with faith based on what we read in here. The other thing that we can use outside of scripture that kind of goes together with scripture is history. History has a lot to teach us about our faith. The Bible describes real places and real people and real events. Um, parts of the Bible are history. And historians, archaeologists, all those science people whose job it is to study this stuff have been able to find evidence that these things, some of these things actually happened in the places where they're described as happening. And you can go and visit these places. And I shared with you all on Ash Wednesday about the oil that I'd gotten from Israel. And I've shared with you all a couple times before that I have been able to visit Israel last year. And so I'm going to show you some pictures of the places that are described in the Bible. And so we're going to see what these places look like. So this is the town of Nazareth. Do you remember what happens in Nazareth in the Bible? That's where Jesus is from. Yes, this is where Jesus is from. So we've got Nazareth, and it doesn't look like a teeny tiny town. The Bible describes it as kind of like a rural, only five people live there, but now it has become quite the place to be. And then we'll see the next picture is, this is a spot in Bethlehem in a church where we believe that Jesus was born. So when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, people kind of noted where that happened, right? And then eventually people built a church there so that they could always remember where that thing happened, and that little star on the ground is kind of a symbol of the place where Jesus was born, and so that's my husband's hand touching. So people travel from all over the world to be able to visit these places and see where these things happened and to be able to touch the place where Jesus was born. Let's see the next place. So this, I had a picture of myself in there so you know I'm not just Googling these, right? I'm trying to prove to you it's real. So I'm not Photoshopped, I promise. Um, that is, that wall behind me is part, the only part of the Jewish temple that still stands, and this is the temple that would have been even before Jesus was born kind of time. Um, and it's a really important site for people in the Jewish faith because it was part of the, the temple from a long, long time ago. And so people come from all over the world and they pray at that wall. It's called the Wailing Wall. 
And because a lot of times when we're praying and we're crying out to God, you know, with the wailing wall. So you can write down your prayers and you can fold them up real small and there's cracks in the wall that people like kind of shove them into the wall. Um, And so behind me, you see those are all people that are like touching the wall and praying and then also kind of waiting to have their turn. Yes. No, it's a scarf. So in the Jewish faith, women wear a covering over their heads. So as part of being respectful um, to the Jewish folks that were there, that I wore a cover over my head. And the boys wore a yarmulke. So like when my husband went to go pray, they gave him a little yarmulke to put on his head because it's part of the, the faith and part of being respectful to the site. So the next one is, <clears throat> this is a synagogue, which is a Jewish worshiping place. And this is the synagogue in Capernaum which is one of the towns where Jesus did a lot of teaching and miracles. And it's actually the town where Peter lives, and Peter is from. So if you've heard all the Bible stories about Peter, this is his hometown. And so this is a synagogue that we can know pretty much for sure, 100%, that Jesus would have taught in this synagogue. And then um, it's in the same town that, like I said, Peter's house is in, and Peter's house is where we believe the story where um, the people lowered their friend through the roof, you know, so that Jesus would heal him, that that happened in this town. And you could see the house where that happened from the synagogue. You could just look over and see where that house was. Yes, sir. Did they call, call yes, they did. I didn't bring that picture with me, but they did also have a church over the place where Jesus died. <clears throat> and then the next one is the Sea of Galilee. There's lots of stories of Jesus out on the Sea of Galilee. This is what it looks like. It's actually a very giant lake, even though we call it a sea. And... Um, I rode on a boat that looked like that, and we got to um, just be on the lake, and we sang some praise songs and worshiped on the lake, and it was really cool. So if you want to see what the Sea of Galilee looks like, there it is. And the next one is, um, this is called the Dome of the Rock. <clears throat> and right now there's a uh, mosque that is the building behind us, so that is um, from the Muslim faith. And that's because the Muslim, the Jewish, and the Christian faiths all have as part of their um, scriptures and their texts the story of Abraham. And Abraham had a son named Isaac. And if you're familiar with the story where God tells Abraham to go sacrifice his son Isaac, and so they're climbing up the mountain, and they get to the top, and Abraham's about to do it, but then God says, no, don't do that. I'm kind of just using this as a way to see how faithful you are to me. This is where they believe Abraham led his son. And the rock that he was going to sacrifice his son on is inside that building. Um, and so we got to go and visit the outside of that spot. And so you can see that people have kind of created buildings, right? I keep talking about these churches that are over the spots that are important to the faith. And that's because when something big happens in history or in the world, we talk about it, right? We tell the stories of it. So even right now, we could use some examples of things that have happened in history in your lifetime, whether they're exciting or they're tragic, and we tell that story. So, for example, since you all have been born, we've had our first African-American president. We had Barack Obama as president. In the last year, we've had our first um, female vice president. This last week, we landed on Mars with a little robot guy who's going to be going around collecting information for us about Mars. So those are big deal things that have happened in our history, right? And so you guys might remember them. And, you know, when you're an old grandpa or grandma in the nursing home, you'll be like, when I was in school, we got to see, you know, the first time that we landed on Mars. And we tell that story. It becomes part of our collective history. 
And there's exciting things that happen like that, and then there are tragic things that happen like that, right? So in my generation, I was in elementary school, I will always remember 9-11, because that was a major day of tragedy that happened in our country. And if you ask anybody that's like my age or older, they can tell you where they were, who they were talking to, they remember what went on that morning. And we tell that story still. I'm sure you guys have heard about it in school. Um, every year on the anniversary, you know, on the news, they do a story about that event. So when big deal things happen, we tell the story over and over again, right? And if you went to New York and you ask pretty much anybody on the street, you know, where were the Twin Towers, they could point you in the direction of the Twin Towers and you can go and there's a memorial there now um, where the buildings once stood. And so people have a way of remembering these big events. And that's what's happened with our faith. These big events happened. After Jesus rose from the dead, people were like, oh my gosh. So there's this guy. He was born and he was God and he went around and taught people and he did these miracles and then they crucified him. But guess what? He came back to life. And they didn't want to forget that because that was a big deal thing that happened. And so they went back into all those places of significance in Jesus's life and they made note of where they happened, right? And so because of that tradition of telling the story and saying, hey, it happened right over there, people built churches and these kinds of memorials of what happened. And that's how we can know that those stories can be true, right? Because we can go and visit and we can believe the storytelling of the people throughout all of the centuries that this is a real place and a real thing. So we have, if we're asking this question of how do we know that this is real, we have scripture, we have our history that tells us things, and scripture and history kind of go together. And then the last way that we can reflect on this question is through our experience and through the experience of other people, right? Um, when someone has encountered God, and then they've come to believe that God is real and they've come to believe Jesus is real, that story is called a testimony where you share your story of how you came to faith. And everybody's testimony looks different. And I can't, as a person, just like you have experiences in your life about many other things, about you know, how you came to this place and, and this, the people in your life, I can't tell you that those things are not true, right? because I've not lived your life. And so the same way we can share our testimony, and that's a truth about us that can witness to other people about the way God is working in our world today. And one of the testimonies that we're going to read is from the book of John. And this happens after Jesus comes back um, to life, after he raises from the dead. So this is an Easter story. And it happens in John chapter 20. So Jesus has come back and he's come and seen some of the disciples. Like he's physically visited some of the disciples. And we're going to do John chapter 20, verse 24. So if you're in the, I see people flipping pages. It's on page 829 if you're looking for it. So Thomas, one of the 12 disciples, wasn't with all of the other disciples when Jesus came to them. And the other disciples told Thomas, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas replied, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger in the wounds left by the nails and my hand into his side, I will not believe. So after eight days, the disciples were again in a house and Thomas was with them. And even though the doors were locked, Jesus entered and stood among them and said, peace be with you. 
Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, look at my hands and put your hand into my side. No more disbelief, believe. And Thomas responded to Jesus, my Lord and my God. And Jesus replied, do you believe because you see me? Happy are those who don't see and yet believe. And so when we read about Thomas's experience, Thomas's testimony, it gives me hope when I think about this question, right? Of how do I know that this is real? Well, Thomas tells me that it's real. All the other disciples told me that it's real. And Thomas gets kind of a bad rap, you know? He gets to be known as like the doubter. Um, but I think instead of seeing that as a negative thing, I see that as a way that like Thomas just learned differently than other people. And that, yes, Jesus tells him, you know, part of faith, Thomas, is that you've got to believe without seeing. But also, how much does it speak to Jesus's love for Thomas that he came back just for Thomas? All the other disciples had seen that Jesus was alive. They told Thomas, Jesus is alive. Thomas is like, mm-mm, y'all are crazy, and you're making this up, and you're just trying to, I don't know, trick me. Maybe they had a habit of pranking Thomas. And Thomas is like, no, there's no way. Not unless I see it for myself am I going to believe that this is true. And so Jesus comes back and shows him that it's true. Jesus knows that Thomas needs to physically see him. And so Jesus appears to him so that that interaction can happen because it's important to Jesus that Thomas believes. And so for us, I know a lot of us in this room are younger, right? We're early on in our lifetime. Hopefully we live long and happy, healthy lives. And so maybe you haven't yet had an experience that is your testimony. Maybe you haven't yet encountered God the way that Thomas did. And that's okay. Because I firmly believe that God makes himself known to us in ways that we specifically need it. For me, that meant that I'd grown up hearing about God. I knew church things. You know, I'd been to Sunday school a couple times. But it wasn't until I was in middle school that I was at a youth group event and I heard the pastor talking about Jesus. And for whatever reason, that was the moment where I said, oh, and it clicked in my head and in my heart, and most importantly, in my heart. Because my head knew it, kind of, you know, I'd heard the stories, I knew the stuff. But in my heart, I felt it for the first time. And it was because that was the time that I needed to hear it. I was in a period of my life where I was really sad, where I was kind of hopeless, where I thought that no one would hear or listen to me or treat me as someone who was valuable. And I heard someone say that God wants to walk with me through that. And so... That was the moment where I personally encountered God. And you might not have had that experience yet, and that's okay. But the work that we need to do in the meantime, while we're kind of asking and wrestling this question of how do we know this is real, is to be able to open our minds and our hearts to the possibility that it can be real. And to be on the lookout for where God is at work in the world, right? Because if we're just walking around with like blinders We're not going to be able to see. But if we are aware that God exists or might exist, and then we see things happening in the world, we can say, hmm, that looks a lot like something Pastor Madeline described or Mr. Blake described or Ms. Sharice described about God. 
And so I wonder if that's God working in my life. And so that's our challenge. When we are wrestling with this question, how do we know that it's real? We can look to scripture, we can look at history, we can think about our own experiences and other people's experiences, but the most important thing is that we need to be open to the idea, the possibility that it could be real, and then to allow God to speak into that, because God will. God did it for Thomas, and God will do it for each of us. Amen? Let's pray. God, I give you thanks for each person in this room. And we, God, as we gather, we confess that we don't understand everything about you. And we know that that's part of this faith, but sometimes, God, it's just so hard to believe when we can't see. So God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and that your Holy Spirit would pour out over us in our lives and so that we could have a moment like Thomas where we come to understand without a doubt that you are real, that you are present, and that you are here. May it be so. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, follow the link in the description below. Peace be with you. And